table because I brought a lot of stuff. We are in a series right now, if you've been with us over the last uh, several months, it's called Put Away the Toys, and it comes from um, the Psalms of Ascent. Uh, There's a book written by um, Eugene Peterson. Eugene Peterson is actually the writer or the translator, if you will, of the message version of the Bible, and he wrote a book called Perseverance, Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And in order to see God move in our lives or to have that suddenly moment where God intervenes in our lives, we have to go on this journey of long obedience in the same direction. Uh, It's way too easy for us to start obeying the Lord, uh, have the Lord speak to us, whether in a service or in a Bible study or in some way, and we start out obeying him, but then we don't see any changes. And then we give up because we don't think it's working. But we have to remember, when the Lord tells us to do things, and we we begin to pray and we begin to obey and we begin to do what he's asked us to do, we are changing things in the unseen reality. And so we continue to do those things until we reap a harvest. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9 is what I referenced earlier, where Paul is telling them, if you sow to the Spirit... If you do spiritual things, if you do what the Spirit leads you to do, if you obey Him, you will from the Spirit reap life. But if you sow to the flesh, you will from the flesh reap destruction. So let's not get weary in doing what is good. Because if we continue to do what is good, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. That's what this series has been all about. And so we've gone through each of the Psalms of Ascent. The Psalms of Ascent were just songs that the children of Israel would sing as they traveled to Jerusalem. Three times a year, they were required to travel to Jerusalem from wherever they lived in Israel because Jerusalem was where God lived. Now, that seems weird for us because in the New Testament, God lives in us. We know that when we accept Christ, when we repent of our sins and we believe on his sacrifice, that the Holy Spirit comes and lives in us. God himself lives inside of us. So we don't have to go anywhere. He's there. Okay, we, we come to church and worship together because the Bible tells us to do that and there's benefits of it, but God is with us always, everywhere. But they had to travel to where he was. They had to go to Jerusalem. They had to make this ascent. The reason it's an ascent is because geographically, Jerusalem is the highest point. Whether or not it was the highest point, it was also where God went. And so anytime the, the Jews referred to going to Jerusalem, it was up. If they were going south, they went up to Jerusalem. Because that's where God was. You never go down to God. You go up. Okay, so it's a metaphoric thing as well, even, even though it was topographical, the Jews understood that. So they were always ascending to the hill of the Lord. For us, it's a metaphor. As we are in this journey of following the Lord, we are ascending to where he is. So these Psalms are helping us and teaching us how to continue to ascend to where the Lord is. Even though he's already in us, we're still ascending to where he is. And so we come to Psalm 134, We're going to look at it from the message version again. And so, um, for those of you that do not like the message version, today's your last day. And so, I mean, I may reference it from now on again, but uh, we're going to step away from the message starting next week. But here we go. Uh, This message is entitled Blessing. By the way, we've given a one-word title to each of the, the weeks, and so is Psalm 134, Blessing. Come bless God. 
all you servants of God, you priests of God, posted to the night watch in God's shrine, lift your praising hands to the holy place and bless God. In turn, may God of Zion bless you, God who made heaven and earth. We started our worship time with that psalm from a different version of the Bible. And there is a lot in here, and we're going to try to pick it apart as we go through. But I don't know if you've ever gotten to a place where you've pursued a goal, um, or you were planning a vacation or a trip, and when you got there, when you got to your goal, or you got on that vacation, or you, you experienced that, uh, it wasn't quite what you had hoped. You, you know? How many of you have watched the episodes of Fuller House this weekend on Netflix? Anybody? Okay, a couple people. Anybody want to admit it? Okay, a couple people. How many of you ever watched Full House? Okay. Remember Kimmy Gibbler? Little Kimmy? In Fuller House, we did. On Friday night, as a family, we were all excited. Well, most of us were excited. But uh, we sat down and we watched the first episode, and as we went through several episodes, the, the crowd thinned a little. But, <laughs> but in this episode, as soon as I heard it, I thought, this is a perfect illustration. In this episode, Danny Tanner tells Kimmy to give him a hug, and she says, I've been waiting 20 years to, to hug the king of all huggers. And she wraps her arms around him, and she hugs him, and she says, Wow, this is really anticlimactic. <laughs> and isn't that the truth? Sometimes we, we plan for this thing for so long, and when we finally get there, we're like, I thought this would be more fun, or I thought this would be more, more fulfilling. I thought this would be better. Maybe it was an academic degree that we pursued. Maybe we went for our bachelor's or our master's or our, our doctorate, and once we got there, we were like, man, I thought this would be a whole lot more exciting than it was. You know, for us this year, as we, you know, I mean, don't, don't get me wrong, but when we won the, the state cross-country title, you know, I, I really thought it would feel better than it did. I mean, it just, it was exciting, but I just thought, man, I was more excited last year when we were second than I was this year when we won. And, you know, maybe it was a seat, but it was just like it, it, you know, there was that goal that was up there and we tried to get it, we got it, and it was like, oh, wow, look, we're state champions. And so I've actually been more excited about it since then, but um, at the, in the moment, it was a little anticlimactic. Maybe it was a job change. You just couldn't wait to get this certain job, and then you got it, and you realized, eh, there's some parts of this job that I didn't realize, and it's just not what I thought it would be. A vacation, maybe it's getting married, Oh, I can't wait to get married and spend my life with this person that I love. And maybe a year into that, you're like, I didn't know this is what it was going to be like. Now, if you've ever been to my premarital counseling, I have told you what it was going to be like. But a lot of you sat there like, huh, huh. And so you didn't believe me. And so come on back and we'll help you now that you know. And we'll help you put the... I mean, it's just a natural part of life. Sometimes we have this goal and we go after it and we, we build up in our mind what this is going to be like and when we get there, it's not quite the same. 
For this sermon series, I don't know as we've come to the end of it now, I don't know, has it accomplished what we hoped it would accomplish in our lives? Are we closer to the Lord now than when we started back in August? Or, you know, what were my goals? As I was thinking of this message, I thought, what were my goals going into this? What did I want to see? How did I want people to grow? How did I want to grow myself? And, you know, are we there? And, you know, tomorrow am I going to wake up and be like, oh, what am I going to preach next week now because the series is over? You know, for the last four months, I haven't had to work... Just kidding. Next, I know where we're going next, okay? So, but there's this letdown. The people of God would have maybe experienced that too. Some of them on this journey to Jerusalem, they would have traveled for days. Some of them would have traveled for weeks. Some of them would have traveled for months. And the question is, when they finally got to the temple, when they finally got to the place where they were going to offer sacrifice and worship the Lord in his temple, was there a letdown? I don't know. I think Psalm 134 kind of points to what they would have experienced. Back where we started in Psalm 120, um, Psalm 120 in the first of the Psalms of Ascent, we talked about repentance. Repentance is where we turn away from ourselves, turn away from the world, and we turn toward God. Our journey to God always begins with repentance. It begins with a conscious choice to leave where we are and journey where he is. The Psalms of Ascent. The Jews could not travel to Jerusalem to worship God and stay home at the same time. We can. We live in a video age and we could, you know, probably scroll to uh, pictures. of. I mean, so we could be somewhere by video and be at home at the same time. I mean, we can watch church on TV and stay in our pajamas at home, right? Not probably a good idea because there's a part of fellowship that we've talked about the last couple weeks when we talked about the community of believers. But the Jews had to choose. And just like when we're going to follow Christ, when we're going to accept him as our Savior, you know, there's a lot of times we talk about this, you know, I want Jesus to forgive me of my sins, I want to accept him into my heart, and we use a lot of phrases that the Bible never uses. The Bible never tells you to accept Jesus into your heart. What must I do to be saved? Repent. Realize that what you were doing before Christ was wrong. You have sinned. Your life wasn't, was all about you. Turn away from that. Turn toward him, making him now the center of your life. What he says to do, you now do. You're on a journey ascending to him. And the Psalms of Ascent have kind of helped us do that. They've showed us things that we need to put into practice in our daily lives so that we can continue on this journey toward where he is. But repentance was the beginning. It was the invitation. Psalm 134, the end of it, is about living a life of praise. It doesn't take long to read this short psalm to realize what the key word or what the main point or the main thought of this psalm is. Bless God. Bless God. May God bless you. Blessing God is the key word. See, everything we know about God in the scripture From John chapter 1, verse 14, so the word, meaning Jesus, became human and he made his home among us. Everything the scripture teaches us about God shows us that he does not reside far off and just send us some diplomatic messages. He came to where we were. 
Philippians chapter 2 says we should have the same attitude that Christ had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave. He was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. That is what we refer to as the good news. God recognizes our condition that apart from him, we are going to experience eternal separation from him in a place called hell. Because of that, God enters into our need. He puts our skin on. He understands who we are. He pays our penalty to bring us back into relationship with himself. That's the good news. The good news is not that one day when you die, you will go to heaven. That is not the good news. That is good news. Amen? The good news is you now are back in relationship with this personal God who understands us better than we understand ourselves. Hebrews says, we have a high priest, again referring to Jesus, who entered into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. He faced all of the same feelings that we do, testings that we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God to receive his mercy and find grace to help us when we need it most. That's an amazing passage of scripture. This high priest understands our weaknesses. He faced everything we do. You know what that means? Jesus understands the frustration of changing the 13th diaper today. Every frustration, every feeling, every anxiety, every fear, every problem, every trial that you and I live through he understands it because he faced every one of them. Now, sometimes when, when someone goes through something tragic or hard, we say, man, I understand how you feel. And they're like, you don't understand how I feel because you're not me. Ever had that happen? And it's true. We can't really understand from someone else's perspective. Even if we've walked through the same thing, we can, we can empathize with them, but we can't really understand it from their perspective. But the scripture says he can. He understands everything we face. He's faced it all. All of it. You're like, well, Jesus never changed a diaper. Yep, but the frustration you feel from changing 13 diapers in one day, he has experienced. So he understands it. But here's the thing, he never sinned. There's not one of us in this room that can make that claim. All of us in our frustrations, our fears, and our anxieties have handled some of them right and some of them wrong. And it's not a question of have we handled more right than wrong and let's hopefully we can tip the scales in our favor. It's this, knowing that he never sinned, knowing that he understands where I am in this moment, I need to go to him. <clears throat> what do I receive? 
mercy. <coughs> Excuse me. Why do I receive mercy? Mercy isn't what we do not deserve. If I mishandled this situation, I don't want judgment and punishment. I want mercy. So I go to him to receive mercy for doing it my way, doing it wrong. I get mercy. That's what I get. But then I also get grace. Grace is not just a free pass. Grace is the ability to do it. I go to him in the midst of every struggle and the circumstance because he's faced it. He understands it. He did it perfectly, and I don't do it perfectly, so I need his mercy, and then I need his grace. I need his empowerment to do it his way. That's a powerful verse. Psalm 134 says he understands this, and he blesses us. When we understand that this is how God has treated us, we in turn now can bless him. We should bless him. There is no better summarizing word in all of scripture than blessing. To the Jews, the word blessing was a powerful word and a very impactful word. They spoke blessings all the time to one another and to the Lord. It was their job as Jews, if you will, to bless the Lord. And so Psalm 134 issues us this statement, come bless God. We can refer to that as what we call an invitational statement, an invitational command. Okay, so people that are coming to sing, come bless God, lift your praising hands, come bless God. Remember, the people who were singing this song were the ones that were traveling to Jerusalem. Why were they traveling to Jerusalem? To worship the Lord in his temple. And now that they've arrived in Jerusalem, now that they've come to the temple to worship God, whether they've traveled for days, whether they've traveled for weeks, whether they've traveled for months, they're, they're hearing, they're giving each other this invitation, come bless God. See, the great promise of being in Jerusalem is that you can come to where God is and bless him. You can bless God back home where you live, but this is where God resides. And so now you have an opportunity to come and bless him. And so the song is saying, you're in Jerusalem, come bless the Lord. Come bless him. Come join in. Don't be shy. Don't hold back. Don't stay where you are. Come bless God. Some people may have said, well, you know, I, I fought with my spouse on the way. The invitation is, who cares? You're here now. Come bless God. Some say, well, you know, I, I've had a disagreement with my neighbor on the way here. But you're here now. Come bless God. Well, you don't understand. I'm really worried. I feel like I left the door unlocked at home or, you know, I left someone at home that wasn't feeling well and I, I don't know how they're doing and there's no cell phone. I'm, I'm so worried. Set it aside for just a moment and come bless God. That's what the invitation is calling us to. This is the whole reason that you've journeyed. But just because they've journeyed to Jerusalem, just because they've come to the place where God is, doesn't automatically mean they're gonna enter into worship. And so this final psalm is an invitation. Come bless God. This is the whole point of why we've come. 
Maybe they were ashamed of their feelings. Maybe they were ashamed of grumbling. Maybe they're ashamed of the resentment. But it wasn't bad enough to keep them from coming to Jerusalem. So it shouldn't be bad enough to keep them from coming and blessing God. It's not only an invitation, it's also a command. Now that they've arrived in Jerusalem, this place of worship, are they going to be content to sit in the temple courts and just share stories about their journey? Maybe they're going to just join in with the tourists and, and travel from place to place and take in the sights of the big city. I mean, maybe they're from back home and they want to, you know, Snapchat their friends a couple pictures and some shots. And so, they're, you know, they're going to take in the sights. And so it's not just an invitation, it's also a command. Don't forget, this is why we've come. The temple can become a place to socialize. But remember why you made the trip in the first place. We're here because God blessed us. Now we bless God. It would have been easy for them to lose sight of that. Come bless God. Do that which for, you, for which you were created and redeemed. Begin to lift your voices in gratitude. We've been invited to bless the Lord. We've been commanded to bless the Lord. But then someone from the back of the crowd says, I don't really feel like blessing God. And I'm not going to be a hypocrite. And so when I feel like it, I'm going to bless him. The response from the Bible is this. Look at it in Psalm 134. Lift up your praising hands to the holy place and bless God. Here's why. We can lift our hands regardless of how we feel. See? I can do it because it's just motor movement. This, does, this requires no emotion whatsoever. Okay? I don't have to be happy. I don't have to be sad. I, I mean, I can just do this. I can tell my brain, lift my arm, lift my hand. Lift, do it. Lift it. Mm -hmm. I can, see how I did that? You want to practice with me? Tell your brain, lift your arm, and you can do it. It's just like me. Yeah, you can do this, see? Regardless of how we feel, we can lift our hands. Here's the crazy thing. We can't command our hearts to feel something. Don't you wish we could? I, can, I can't command my heart to praise God, but I can command my hands to lift in praise to God and hope that my heart gets the point. That's why the psalmist says, lift your praising hands to God. Go through the motions of praising God, blessing God, and hopefully your spirit will pick up the cue. That's the biblical response. Find the right thing to do and keep practicing that thing and everything else will follow along. Too many people think that the way we change our behavior is to change our feelings. And so we take drugs to alter our moods so we don't kick our dog, right? We turn on music to try to soothe us so that the conversations we have with other people are less abrasive than they would have been without that music to soothe us. We think that to change our behavior, we have to change our feeling first. But biblical wisdom says, if we change our behavior, we can change our feelings. Human wisdom says, I don't like that person, so I'm not gonna talk to that person. When I start liking them, I'll talk to them. 
Biblical wisdom says, I don't like that person, so I must talk to them. And in taking that step and offering a kind word, overcoming evil with good, we open them to be able to return kindness. Now, I wish that happened in just one small conversation. I wish the first time we talked to someone that we didn't like, boom, it was just like the movies and everything just worked out. But we have to continue to do what we know is good to reap the harvest. Make sense? Some people say, I don't feel like going to church today and worshiping, so I'm not going to go. And when I feel like it, I'll go. But the biblical response is, I don't feel like worshiping today, so I'm going to go and put myself in the place of worship, and I'm going to lift my praising hands, and they'll find that their spirit catches up to that. But if you just come and sit and wait for your emotions to change before, it probably won't happen. Because that's really not the way we're wired. So the people that this psalm addresses are the priests, the professional worshipers. These were the guys that were hired, the Levites in the Old Testament, to come to the temple and to praise God all the time. Now it addresses everyone, come bless God, all you servants of God, but it speaks directly then to the priest. You priests who are posted to the night watch. See, during the time of festivals especially, there were people stationed in the temple to praise God all the time, to emphasize to us that he's always worthy of praise. Not a second was to go by that someone wasn't declaring the praises of God in the temple. Now the problem is at 3 a.m., the danger of praise is that it becomes less exuberant and maybe a little routine. 3 a.m., you're like, Lord, help me fall back asleep. And so maybe our praise at 3 a.m. isn't exuberant. But the psalmist says, hey, you in the night watch, lift your praising hands. No excuses. I know you're tired. I know you don't feel good. But lift your praising hands to the holy place. Bless God. And in turn, the God of Zion will bless you. That's just a fancy word for Jerusalem. The maker of heaven and earth will bless you. See, here's the thing. Too many people are sitting back saying, God, oh, I wish you would bless me so I could praise you. And God says, you begin to praise me and you'll find that my blessing just comes with it. Your circumstances won't change all the time, but your perspective will. Begin to lift your hands in praises to me. We are the professional worshipers. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says, you, you and I, are a chosen people, a royal priesthood we are now the people that have been called to declare the praises of him 24 7 our job is to bless god prayer before a meal is not just something we do it's to say god thank you for the food that you've put in front of me right now god thank you that i live in this country where i have heat when it's cold outside where i have air conditioning when it's hot outside where i have clothes way more clothes than i need more shoes than i need god you've given me so much i can take a shower today and open my mouth in the shower and not worry about getting some kind of disease from the water well at least on the short term I hear the chlorine intake for long periods of time isn't good for us, but you get what I say? We can bless God. And sometimes we forget that that's what we're, we're supposed to do. Bless him. 
That's all we're called to do is to bless him. The Westminster Catechism, if you don't know what that is, it doesn't matter. But it asks the question, what's the chief end of man? When it's all said and done, what matters most? Here's what the answer is. To glorify God and enjoy him forever. To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. As we've gone through the other Psalms of Ascent, we've realized there's more to Christian discipleship than just blessing God and enjoying God. The songs of Ascent have showed us that. But this Psalm reminds us that what's most important, that's what overrides everything else, is that we bless God. The main thing in our lives is not to work for the Lord. It's not to suffer for the name of the Lord. It's not to witness for the Lord. It's not to teach Sunday school for the Lord. It's not to be in a community of believers in the family of God for the Lord. It's not to keep the Ten Commandments. It's not loving your neighbor. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's the good news. It's not just hang on until we get to heaven. It's enjoy him Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, let me teach you, because I'm humble and gentle at heart. You will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Jesus says, Come to me, I will teach you, and I'll give you rest. How we've forgotten that it's all about coming to him. Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord. You priests who stand in the night watch, awake at 3 a.m., full of anxiety and full of fear, lift your praising hands to God and bless him. And in turn, the God of Zion may bless you. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back. We're going to conclude our service this morning singing a song together. It's easy for us in the midst of this journey that we're traveling to get weary and to get burdened. Just like Jesus said. And notice what Jesus says. Come to me. See, there's some movement required. Just like we talked about, come bless the Lord. Lift your praising hands. Jesus says, come to me. Here's the thing. He's already come to us. He already came to us, wrapped flesh around himself, came and purchased our salvation. He's already come. But if you sit there today, weary and heavy burdened, he'll pass you by. But if you come to him, What's that mean? It means you just, you, in your heart, in your mouth, in your mind, you just come to him. Some of you are gonna wanna step out of your pew and you're gonna wanna come to the front just as a son. Some of you are gonna wanna, whatever the Lord, you need to come to him. 
Whatever that looks like. We're gonna sing one song together. This is a song, 10,000 Reasons. <laughs> bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that's within me, bless his name. That's what we've come to do. You, we didn't come here today to watch a skit. We didn't come here today to watch a dance. We didn't come here today to, to be entertained by some crazy man pacing back and forth. We didn't come here today for a lunch. We didn't come here today to do business. We came here today to bless the Lord because of all that he's done for us. You know, the bottom has fallen out of my life. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. And all that is within me will bless his holy name. Because I live not by what I see. I live by an unseen reality. So we've been called to come bless the Lord. To lift up our tired hands and bless his holy name. So I want to invite you to stand with me. We're going to sing this song together. I want to invite you if you want to come to the front, if you want to stand where you are. But let's take this moment now and come and bless the Lord. Father, right now we thank you for all that you've done. We thank you for making a way for us to be in relationship with you again. We thank you that while we were your enemies, you came to this earth. You humbled yourself. You became one of us. You've walked in our shoes. You understand the pain and the agony and the heartache that we face. And you did it perfectly. And so we come to you today because we're tired. We're weary. We've been overburdened. God, we've taken too much on ourselves. We repent today. We come just to enjoy you. God, we want to enjoy you. We want to bless you. We want to bless you. Thank you for what you've done for us. We bless you. bless you.